0: Joshua chapter 10, uh, this lesson was supposed to be on Jericho, I think we've covered Jericho enough. I wanted to cover a passage that wasn't in the uh, scope and sequence of the Sunday school curriculum, and it's this passage in Joshua 10 where the sun stands still. I have to say that slowly because it's a, it's a tongue twister. Uh, The day the sun stood still. And lots of pop culture references have been taken from from this passage. Anyone old enough to remember the day the earth stood still? Okay, so you dated yourself. But um, I think the uh, Bye Bye American Pie song is a takeoff on this. The day the sun stood still. And yet, it's more than just some pop culture reference. Something actually happened in human history where the sun stopped moving across the sky. And our subtitle here is How Should Christians Explain Supernatural Events in the Bible? As we go through the meta narrative of the, the Bible, the big story, God's big story that explains all of reality, we have to pause and answer these difficult questions for ourselves, for our our own faith, but also because we want to witness to the world and always be ready with an answer, right? And this is a a problematic passage for many people outside the church. As As it turns out, it's a problematic passage for many people inside the church. I've run into this quite a bit. The thought of the sun standing still defies science and reason and logic. And hello, it's a miracle. That's what miracles do. They defy logic and natural science. But for some reason, this particular miracle gives people difficulty. So let's look at it. It's in Joshua 10.12. Here's the context. The walls of Jericho have come down. Uh, they defeat the little city of Ai, and five kings in the area decide, we better team up and attack Israel, or we're next. And a nearby city, Gibeon, decides, we can't beat this army. They have this mighty God on their side. We need to make a treaty with them. And they use deception to trick the Israelites into making a treaty with them. You remember last week we said God in his mercy um, told Israel that the surrounding outlying cities just outside the promised land, you could make a treaty with those cities. Offer them peace. If they don't accept the treaty, then go to war and then only kill the men of war, and you may bring the women and children into the Israelite community, marry the women, adopt the children, raise them up with the truth of God, and incorporate them into the community of God. But as far as the cities inside the Promised Land, they were to be utterly destroyed so as not to corrupt the worship of the true God with pagan worship and pagan practices. We said last week it was an act of judgment and that all death is an act of judgment. If you missed last week's sermon, please would ask you when it comes online to take some time to listen. A really important sermon to understand why God allows and even orders the destruction of certain people at given times throughout history. It is a difficult question. It is one of the main uh, problems that unbelievers have with the God of the Bible? How could he wipe out an entire city, men, women, and children? So please look up that sermon for, for those answers. The question will be asked to you at some point in your life, and you need to have answers. And you will find that your own heart sometimes doubts things you read in the Bible, and you need answers for your own heart. We also said we need to be creating an environment here in our church and in your homes where questions can be asked, honest questions, without ridicule, without fear of reprisal or ridicule, or don't talk that way here, just believe what the Bible says and and drop it. Because eventually your kids will leave the home and they'll still have these questions and they will go find answers somewhere else. And we have good answers for them. So we'll use this meta-narrative series to hit these difficult questions and, and equip our own hearts with answers to strengthen our faith, but also to be able to evangelize our children and our neighbors and coworkers, etc. so The Gibeonites make this treaty with Israel, and now Israel has made a vow that they will protect Gibeon. The other five kings decide, we're going to attack Gibeon for making a treaty with our enemies. And now Israel has to protect Gibeon. And so they make war with the Amorites, and God gives them the victory, and they have the Amorites on the run. And God brings a hailstorm with hail so big that it kills many of the Amorites. In fact, the Bible says more Amorites died from hailstones than by the sword. But there were still many survivors, and they were going to escape. And if nightfall came, they would be able to escape under the cover of nightfall. And so here's what Joshua says. Joshua 10.12 Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ejelon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher, And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like it, before it or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Why do so many Christians have a problem with this miracle? You know, when we think about it, like last week's sermon with Rahab, and we said, well, why do so many Christians have a problem with Rahab telling a lie? He said, well, because lying's immoral. Why would God save someone immoral? And we said, wait a minute, here's this pagan prostitute, and now you have a problem with her morality? The whole point of the story of Rahab is that God will save whom he determines to save. She put her faith in the true God. Salvation is not just for Israel. And God in his mercy and wonderful, marvelous plan actually made Rahab part of the lineage of King David and our Messiah, Jesus. Her name is recorded in the genealogies in the first chapter of Matthew. But likewise... When people have a problem with this passage, I say, why do you have a problem with this? And they're like, it can't happen. The sun cannot stand still. The only way for that to happen is for the earth to stop rotating. And do you know what would happen physically and geologically if the earth stopped rotating? I mean, first of all, the earth doesn't just stop on a dime. You know, It's going really, really, really fast. Secondly, to get it restarted. It just can't happen. You know, our gravity isn't isn't just based on the size of, of our planet, but on the speed with which it rotates. This is just too much for me. And, and I'm thinking, okay, so you didn't have a problem with God creating everything out of nothing. You didn't have a problem with Him creating man and woman as fully formed adults, Adam and Eve. No problems with talking serpents. No problem with him cursing the entire planet. No problem with him flooding the entire planet except for eight people. No problem with confusing the languages at Babel. No problem with him talking to Moses from a burning bush. No problem with the plagues on Egypt. No problem with parting the Red Sea. No problem with parting the Jordan River. No problem with knocking down the walls of Jericho. No problem with hailstones killing half the Amorite army. But... We've gone too far now. (laughs) And without mocking again, it's fun, but people do have problems with this passage. In fact, close to home here. While being respectful and kind and loving and speaking truth and love about our Christian community here a few years ago, a member of our church went to a youth group at another church, which will remain nameless, and the youth pastor at the time did not believe this was a miracle and did not believe that other miracles in the Bible actually happened, that they were just figurative language. And upon closer examination, it turned out that the college that this youth pastor went to also teaches the same, and many of their faculty aren't even believers, and they, they call that academic freedom. So, I don't think that youth pastor is at that church anymore, but just know that don't assume, because we're all evangelical Christians here, that every church is teaching the same thing. Does that mean don't send your kids to other youth groups? It means regardless of where your kid is learning, you better have a relationship with them such that you talk to them about what they're learning. Even here, what did Nathan teach you this morning? And don't just say something about Jesus. You've got to draw out of them. Come on, be more specific. What are you learning? What is going in to your mind? How is your heart perceiving it? These are the kinds of relationships we want to form with our kids. Now you'll talk to some people about this miracle and and you say, well, what about God parting the Jordan River? And they'll say, well, perhaps a rock slide dammed up the Jordan River temporarily so they could pass and then as the water heaped up behind the temporary dam, it finally spilled over and the Jordan began to flow again. And we actually have... Rec- recorded events in history of this happening. And you could see where this would happen. But does that take away the miraculous nature of the Jordan River parting? No, not at all, because look at the timing. What are the odds that an earthquake or whatever would happen at just the right moment and there happened to be just the right amount of boulders that came down the mountain and stopped up the river and that it stopped it up just long enough for Israel to cross over, and then when they get to the other side, it suddenly starts flowing again. But because there is a plausible natural explanation, many Christians don't doubt that miracle. And the same with the walls of Jericho. Perhaps an earthquake knocked down the outer wall, and that created the ramp whereby the Israelite army could climb the ramp and go into the city. We do have archaeological evidence that indeed the outer wall did crumble, creating a ramp for the army to go in. But again, what are the odds of an earthquake hitting that only destroyed the outer wall at exactly the time they finished their seventh lap around Jericho and shouted? What about giant hailstones? I'm sure people from Texas can... (laughs) Andy's nodding. They've got big hailstones there. I think he tells a story of his car getting pummeled with hailstones. Yeah, I remember that story. But again, God bringing the hail at just the right moment, in just the right spot, only hitting the Amorites. It's still a miracle. And yet, because hail is a natural phenomenon, people don't have a problem with this. But the sun standing still... That is a supernatural phenomenon that we have never seen before and can't, just can't happen. I mean, it would violate the laws of nature. Hence the term supernatural, above nature. I understand why unbelievers have trouble with supernatural events in the Bible, By their definition of science, they cannot allow for supernatural explanations. It's kind of sad that scientists say they want to look at all the evidence and go where the evidence leads them. And we know that's not always the case because scientists are people too. They have preconceived notions, presuppositions. They're sinners as well. They have an agenda. They want to see what they want to see. In fact, the definition of science given to us by the world eventually ends up saying it's a systematic knowledge of the physical or material world gained through observation and experimentation. So their very definition of science excludes supernatural events. Even if all evidence points to a supernatural explanation. Famous atheist Richard Dawkins wrote in his book, The Blind Watchmaker, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Then spends the rest of his book arguing why that isn't the case. And so even he recognizes that, hey, this looks like Somebody's been monkeying with the controls. And the cosmologists and astrophysicists look at our universe and say, it is a a mathematical impossibility for a universe to exist through natural mechanisms that will support life. But here it is. So it must have happened that way. And they'll even say, it looks like somebody was monkeying with the controls. Well, if that's what it looks like, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, maybe we should assume duck. If it looks like a god, if it looks like an intelligent being who intervenes supernaturally, then we should consider that as at least a possibility. And unbelievers will say, no. I won't even consider that as a possibility. I'm not saying you have to believe it, but can we put it on the table? No, we can't put it on the table. So who's who's honestly doing science? Not that unbeliever. That's not that's not science. If you won't go where the evidence leads, you're not doing science. But a materialist or a naturalist cannot allow the possibility for the supernatural in his worldview or meta narrative, So even if God repeated this miracle, and the sun stood still for a day, and we would be like, ah, oh, just like Joshua, there it is. Many unbelievers, probably most, would say, well, let's get back to the whiteboard and get out our telescopes and rework our equations. There's got to be a natural explanation for this. You know, Jesus taught us this in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the story? I think it's more than a parable because he uses actual names in it. But the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus, die. The rich man goes to hell. Lazarus goes to heaven and resting in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man says to God, will you allow Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and touch my tongue and just give me some relief? But there's an in, in, um, an uncrossable chasm between the two realms. And so the rich man says, well, can you send Lazarus back to my house and warn my family so they don't suffer the same fate I do? And the Lord tells us, they have Moses and the prophets... Moses, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to a dead man who's come back to life. And we have a dead man who came back to life. His name is Jesus Christ, the greatest of all miracles. And if you're hardened in your heart and you're then all the miracles in the world won't change your mind. So I understand why unbelievers have trouble with miracles in the Bible and even scoff at us as Christians for believing in such things. But why would a Christian feel compelled to explain away miracles? That's the question this morning for us. And I started thinking through some some reasons and just conversations I've had with people in the past, and I put them in categories for us this morning. First, there's honest doubt. And This is what I'm talking about when you need to create an environment in your home or in your workplace where people can honestly come to you with doubts. Doubting is not necessarily a sin. But when the Bible gives us good answers and we continue to doubt, then we cross over into sin. Honest doubt And it usually sounds like this, we don't seem to see miracles today like we see in the Bible, so it's hard to believe that biblical miracles happened. You start to buy into the lie that, well, those people lived a long time ago before we had advanced science, and that's the best they could do with what they had, and they were looking for explanations for things they couldn't explain with science, and therefore they made up these stories. Well, boy, that really does away with God as the author of the Bible. So we don't want to go down that path, but I think that's where people uh, tend to think. Let me help us out this morning by having us consider that miracles are actually quite rare. Otherwise, they wouldn't be miracles. Our Bible compiles the miracles, to give glory to God and see the amazing things that he's done. But we don't get all the in-between that was going on. And so we start to think that miracles were just these everyday common occurrences. But just think about like Moses' life. He, he saw a burning bush when he was 80. And then you see all these miracles as he leads people God's people out of Egypt, but we don't get a whole lot of what his day-to-day life was like for those other 80 years. It wasn't like every day God was making the sun stand still and parting red seas and all those kinds of things. In fact, if you look at the history of the Bible, from creation to where we are now is about... Um, 2,500 years. How many miracles have we really seen in the Bible in 2,500 years? Creation, huge miracle, except nobody was around to see it until day six when God created man last. Uh, The flood, Tower of Babel, um, the call of of Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, We have um, the story of Joseph, and so he has some dreams that are interpreted, and that was miraculous. Certainly, we have um, Sarah giving birth well beyond her age. And then the exodus hits, and you get a ton of miracles all at once. And then the miracles kind of stopped for a while. And then we get some miracles with some of the prophets. Elijah does quite a few. But it's not until Jesus comes, great miracle, God becoming, taking on human flesh, but the three years where Jesus is doing ministry, again we see a proliferation of miracles. And then the early church is launched and the apostles are able to do great signs and wonders for a while. But by the time you get to the end of Acts, the miracles kind of dry up. And we haven't seen that many miracles in the last 2,000 years. But this is pretty normal for Bible history. So don't think because we don't see a lot of miracles today that back then there are all kinds of miracles going on all the time. That's not the case. And when Jesus comes back, this world's going to see miracles like it's never witnessed before. And so God isn't done with the miracle business at all. Is he is he doing modern-day miracles? We'll get to that later. I was uh, reading about um, Israel returning to the land and the Six-Day War. That'll knock your socks off. Six-Day War, the miracles God performed during that um, war. Twice the number of enemies surrounding Israel with superior weaponry and firepower. And hell and intent on wiping the Jews from the face of the map. And in six days, the Jews had won and regained more territory than they'd ever, ever had. Miracle people, the same kinds of miracles we see as God has Israel purging the land of enemies who have superior numbers and superior weaponry and superior fortified cities. So yeah, God is still doing... A miracles today. What's another reason, though, that people have for explaining away miracles? Fear of man. Fear of man. I'm afraid that I will be mocked and rejected by people I esteem. People far smarter than me, scientists, learned people, people with lots of letters after their names. I don't want to be mocked. I don't want to go to university and be mocked. I don't want to fail my science class. And boy, these people are really smart and they do make a good point. And yeah, probably long ago, people just didn't know any better. And little by little, it chips away at your faith. But what's at the root of it is that fear of man. I don't want to be mocked by the movers and shakers in our society. The third one's closely linked to fear of man, intellectual pride. I've run across very smart people who are too smart for their own good. Do you know these people? One lady in here is like, I'm married to that guy, right? (laughs) We just outed you. The church I came uh, from before this one, um, I brought in... A new Sunday school curriculum. I was a children's pastor, and it took a literal view of Genesis chapter 1. And I was told that I had a Sunday school teacher that did not believe that. And I'm like, oh, well, he's probably an old earth guy or an old universe. I can still work with him as long as he believes God created supernaturally. Now, here is a man who claimed to be a, a Christian, and attended that church for a long time and was even an elder at one point, and they had to remove him from the elder board because he didn't believe in the supernatural miracles of the Bible. I, I talked to him, and he said, Come on, you went to seminary. I know they told you what's really going on, the kind of stuff pastors don't want to tell the regular people from the pulpit. And I'm like, What on earth are you talking about? There's no secrets here, no hidden Gnostic you know, truth that we're keeping from you. He's like, Really? You really believe this? He's like, Come on, you went to UCLA, you were a science major, come on. And I'm like, No, I really, I really believe this. It's a better explanation for what was provided to me by my secular education. In fact, evolution in Big Bang is more miraculous to me than God creating. When you see something with great intelligence and you want to tell me that non-intelligence created it, who's believing in miracles now? And so I said, Well, what other miracles don't you believe? And I went through a list, and man, we got to the incarnation, and he was like, Eh, not so sure. Resurrection? Probably not. I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Bible says that's one of the things you have to believe to be saved. And so I, I, I talked to him about the gospel, and he had this like smirky, smug look on his face the whole time, like, come on, you know and I know the stuff's not real, I'm just more honest than you are. You know you would lose your job if you told the people the truth. Well, I did some more digging and it actually revealed that there was more going on than intellectual pride. <clears throat> he was angry with God. And this is the fourth one. If God could do miracles, then why doesn't he stop evil or fix all my problems? You see, this this gentleman was struggling with the fact that his daughter who had grown up in the church had chosen a homosexual lifestyle and he couldn't reconcile God's judgment on that particular sin with his faith in God. So instead of doing what a lot of people do and just say, well, you know what, that was then, God's okay with that now. He didn't go there because he knew that wasn't intellectually honest. So he started to doubt the miracles in the Bible so that he could doubt God as judge And yet his wife held on to her faith and she chose the better route, which is, I know this is wrong and I know my daughter is living in sin, but I love her and I will continue to pray for her. And God is merciful and the story's not over yet. And we will continue to love her, but let her know that we're not in agreement with the choices that she's making. And the the dad just couldn't reconcile that in his head. And to him, it was easier to discount a lot of the miracles in the Bible so I didn't have to hold on to what the Bible has to say about God judging us. Now, you and I see the problem with that. It hasn't solved his problem at all. At all. You can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to believe and what parts you don't want to believe. You can't and truths, truths about God's character that you like and other parts of God's character reject. That's what the liberal church does. And eventually, what happens to liberal churches? What happens? They, they cease to exist. What's the point? And so, I had quite a few conversations with this gentleman and we prayed a lot. And, and I don't know where he is now with his faith but he's sitting under the teaching of a good and godly man who trusts in the inerrancy of Scripture. And so you trust that God will find other ways to reach this person. And I know you have people in your life who have fallen away from the faith, maybe from your own family, maybe a wayward child. Don't explain away parts of the Bible that are uncomfortable to somehow try to coax your loved ones back into the faith. You won't leave a faith for them to come back to. Sometimes you'll be talking to someone who maybe lost a child, so this is very difficult, and there's certainly no time for mocking. You will weep with those who weep. And understand that, yes, people could be very angry with God. If you could do miracles, why didn't you intervene here? We have many good resources to help you reconcile what the world calls the problem of evil. If God is all good and all powerful and all loving, then why does he not stop evil? Is he powerless to stop it or is he not loving? What's the deal? And we know as Christians the answer is not that God can't stop it. He allows it and it's not purposeless. Andy just taught an entire series on on suffering. God has a purpose in suffering. And so you will have opportunities to witness to people who are in this very condition. And it may not be that they're rejecting miracles in the Bible because of intellectual pride or fear of man, but it may be because they're confused and angry with God. And you can show them the love of Christ and help lead them into truth. At the end of the day, we'd rather, you'd much rather have an all-powerful, all-loving God than one who's impotent to stop things from happening. It may feel better to you if, if you've experienced tragedy to think of a God who had his hands tied behind his back and said, man, I wanted to do something, I just couldn't. But no, that's not really going to bring you relief. And it's just going to erode your faith. Most of the time, though, God is working providentially through what we think is natural means. I want you to understand this this morning. When we don't see these obvious miracles, it doesn't mean that God isn't working miraculously. In fact, providence is more miraculous than what we consider miracles to be. But let me explain. God could have supernaturally scooped me up and scooped up my wife Jennifer and put us together in the same place and told us, you two are getting married right now, right here. Wow, that would have been an amazing miracle. But that is actually easier than the way God went about introducing Jennifer to me. When you think about all the circumstances that had to happen to get you to that situation, it's mind-blowing. So mind-blowing that If anyone's going to reject any doctrine of God, you should have the biggest problem with providence. The way God can anticipate every single choice we will ever make, every move, and put that into His great computer and get everything just where He wants it. That is a God we should fall on our knees and worship in awe. Amen? Amen. And so, to the person who says, well, if I would have done this, then you know, I'm struggling in my marriage. Maybe maybe that was the wrong person because um, God didn't supernaturally bring that right person into my life. No. Trust me, my brother, my sister. God did amazing miracles to get you two together. Don't ever doubt that for a second. You are with the right person. But if only if I had done this, then this would have changed everything. Yes, our choices have real consequences, but nothing we do thwarts God's plan. He's not in heaven saying, Oh, no, John didn't go to work this morning, and he was supposed to talk to someone there, and that's how I was going to bring them to Christ, and... You're not even sick, John. I can't believe you called in. Yeah. No, that's not what's what's happening. Is John's choices real? Yes. Do they have real consequences? Yes, but they work perfectly together with God's sovereignty in ways we can't comprehend, but we can understand it enough to fall to our knees in awe and worship and complete... An utter trust of our God's sovereignty. I am so thankful that God's plan doesn't depend on me showing up at the right time and saying the right thing to the right person. Anyone carrying around that burden, and I know you're out there, you need to repent of thinking you're that sovereign. It's a sin. At the root of it is sin. I know you're depressed, you're anxious, you feel panic. And the world's telling you you have a disease, but they're telling you it's the wrong disease. God is saying your disease is sin. You think you're God. You're not. God is in control. Things will work out just the way He has planned. You walk forward in obedience and trust, and He will use that obedience and trust in His plan. And God is working Supernaturally. If that's not supernatural, I don't know what is. By the way, as a side note here, it says, The men of Israel, this is Joshua 9.14, when the Gibeonites come to trick the Israelites, they bring some old wineskins and old tattered clothes to pretend that they've been traveling for months. And it says this, and it's interesting because this line is right at the heart of the passage, and I think it... God wants to draw our attention to this. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. And did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Some would say, well, if God is sovereign and everything's working out the way He wants it to work out, why should I bother seeking out counsel from the Lord? I'll just go and do it, and whatever I do, that's what He wanted to have happen. Does not God clearly tell us in his word that he wants us to seek him out and to pray and to seek his will and to ask? And even if we don't know how that works and how prayer works, he has commanded us to do so, and so we do so in trust. And yet God worked supernaturally and providentially even through the fact that they did not seek God's counsel God could have sent an angel or sent a vision. Joshua, hey, some people are going to come. They're going to look like they've been traveling for a long... Don't believe it for a second. Why didn't God intervene like this here? He's done it in other places. That's God's business. That's His business when He chooses to work in in obviously miraculous ways and when He chooses to work miraculously behind the scenes. But I do want to encourage you to seek the Lord's counsel. If Jennifer and I hadn't sought the Lord's counsel, we wouldn't be here today in this church. I wouldn't be your pastor. My great plan was to sell our house and use the equity to start a school for boys with ADHD. Remember? I was so excited about this and so just brokenhearted for boys in school who can't sit still, and um, learn as women learn, I would call it. They want to get up and do things and use their hands and build and create. And, and uh, I had grand visions for buying a plot of land up in Gold Country, up in near Placerville, and creating this school for... People want to sign their kids up right now for this thing. I know you do. You're, you're excited. And yet, my wife was like, what about health care... Benefits, you know, where are we going to live? What happens when the equity runs out? What happens if a parent wants to sue us? I'm like, don't bother me with details, woman. The Lord is speaking to me, right? I got dreams. And she said, maybe we should talk to some other Christians who are, you know, wiser and more mature in the Lord as we are. And everyone to a T said, boy, that sounds great. And what a wonderful heart God's given you. No. No. And so we waited a year, and the Lord put it on my heart to go to seminary. We went and got counsel, and people said, yes, we see the gift of teaching and preaching. You need to study more. So then we sold our house to go to seminary, and six months later, the real estate market crashed. We sold right at the peak, and God used that money to get us through seminary. And praise God, here we are. So through patience and reading the scripture and prayer and talking to other godly people, that's what it means to ask counsel of the Lord. Also on a side note, beware of people, and you will meet these people, who are always running around saying, The Lord told me we have to do this, and we have to do that. And around here, it's always some guy from another church who comes in and says, The Lord told me Country Oaks needs us to to do this or to do that. So let me get this straight. You're the idea, man. We have to front the money and all the labor. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I was eager to move from where Nathan's office is to the office I'm in now because all kinds of people would stop at that open door. And often also it was moms who dropped their kids off at school and were (laughs) hyper-caffeinated. We've got to do this now! And I'm like, Okay. I don't want to get in the way of anyone who says God is telling them to do something. But maybe we should pray and let's make an appointment and talk about this. And you know, by the time the appointment came up, nine times out of ten, they'd cancel the appointment. So, don't assume just because somebody is saying, I sought counsel of the Lord and He said we need to do this. That's not the final word. If God wants us to do something together, certainly... He'll tell all of us. And it's why our elder board makes no decision unless we have unanimous agreement that this is the Lord's will. I would also say here that if you're not being faithful to do the things God has clearly said in his word are his will for your life... Don't come into my office saying God's got amazing, super marvelous things for me to go do and the church is going to finance it. Because I'm going to examine your life and say, well, why would God commission you to do that when you're not taking care of the day-to-day things He's calling you to do? We had a gentleman come in. Uh, last year, saying God wanted all the pastors in Tehachapi to, to do this event. I brought Nathan with me to the park. He's a good, godly man. He's been in our community forever. So you honor people like that, right? And you say, hey, we'll have a listen. See what God has in store. And so we go to the park, and we meet the, the gentleman. And they said, what church are you from? And he told me. And I said, well, where's your pastor? Well, he he's, didn't want to be part of it. I'm like, I'm done. That's pretty much a sign to me that if God wanted all the pastors in Tehachapi to do this, your pastor should be first on the list. So, back to miracles. Why then does God sometimes work in supernatural ways that are obvious, and then in other times he seems to be working behind the scenes? Again, he is working supernaturally behind the scenes. Um. First, we must remember that all creation, especially life, is one awe-inspiring, ongoing miracle. If you can't look at the heavens and see that they're declaring the glory of God, then you are missing out on something. We just sang this morning, you know, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. And when you look at human life, any life for that matter, but especially human life, and you don't see God supernaturally working there. We take it for granted that it's natural because it happens all the time. But when you start digging into the science behind the creation of our cosmos and the creation of human life, it is nothing short of a miracle. And so when I hear of someone giving birth, I go, you did it again. That miracle never gets old to me. I love babies. I just in awe of of them. It's just their little tiny fingers and little fingernails and everything so perfect, and nobody had to make it happen other than God. It just the DNA knows how to knit the human being together from scratch. It's amazing. Secondly, though, God is always acting supernaturally even when we don't perceive it. This is God's providence. Again, so don't think for a second that God isn't working supernaturally all the time. Thirdly, though, when we see these these spectacular one-time miracles like the sun standing still or the Red Sea parting, it's always for some distinct purpose in the Bible to display God's glory, to remind us of our own weakness and inability, to demonstrate God's power or His faithfulness. A lot of His miracles were just to demonstrate to Israel, I've made a covenant with you and I will keep it in miraculous ways. Or to remind us of His right to give judgment or even grant mercy. Sometimes God supernaturally intervenes in terrible ways to... Like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then other times he intervenes in amazing ways to to save, like with Rahab. But finally, beloved, we need to remember that the greatest miracle of all is salvation. When I hear a testimony and I and the person is in tears, in grieving over their sin, and from their heart of hearts, they can sing, "Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah! What a Savior!" I love that hymn, by the way, and I'm glad there was announcements in between because I, I have to fight back tears whenever I sing that song. God saving sin, saving sinners, sending his own son, taking on human flesh, dying, every single sin I've ever committed or will ever commit, covered by the blood of Christ. People are stubborn and hard hearted. You think it's easy to, to turn a heart of flesh, stone into a heart of flesh? You think it's easy to make the, pride, uh, the, the proud humble? I can't do this. You can't do it. When, when a sinner truly repents and turns to Christ, it is an amazing miracle. And like Judy said up here with the shoeboxes, when those people said, where did you find all these Christians to do all this work? People, do you know human beings like I know them? I know me. I'm lazy. The whole Operation Christmas Child thing is way beyond my capacity to give human beings credit for. That's all God. For people to take their time and their money and care about people halfway around the world that they would never meet, but hoping to meet in heaven one day around the throne of the Lamb, that is a miracle. And so we go out and we preach Christ and praise God it doesn't depend on the cleverness of my speech. The Holy Spirit doing miracles one heart at a time to change hearts. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. God of wonders, beyond our galaxy and yet ever close, dwelling in our hearts, what a miracle that is. God would take up dwelling place in, in us. And Lord, we understand that would only happen by you cleansing our heart. You would never enter a dirty tabernacle. Thank you, Jesus, for cleaning our heart, making us holy by your sacrifice. Lord, teach us not to doubt in your miraculous ways, but to embrace it, to proclaim it without fear, without embarrassment. May it strengthen our faith and may it draw sinners to the cross. May they experience the miracle each of us experienced in our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you.